Over the past several years, dealership service operations have gone through some rapid changes. And while many of the new rules of operation have been absorbed and in some cases conquered, building a dealership's core fixed operations business has gotten much more challenging, and those challenges fall squarely on the shoulders of the fixed operations managers. Today, fixed operations expert Ed Kowalczyk joins us to lead a lively discussion of what he sees as the habits and practices that set the truly exceptional managers apart from the rest of the pack when it comes to building their businesses. Some service managers are business builders, others treat business like it's something that just happens. Vast improvements in vehicle quality coupled with the lengthening of manufacturing service intervals means you expect fewer cars in your service drive unless you take action. The best service managers are planning now to reinvent their businesses to adjust to the new reality in service. Ed Kowalczyk has traveled the country and beyond and has met a lot of truly exceptional service managers. And today, we'll hear Ed's take on what exceptional service managers do every day when it comes to things like employee communication, internal training and coaching, managing people, marketing and merchandising his or her department, relationships with other dealership departments, facilities management, building positive customer relationships, knowing how and when to celebrate success, and setting and then attaining financial objectives. So now let's welcome Ed Kowalczyk back to Dealer's Edge. Ed, why don't you take over from here? Defense mechanisms. Uh, by handing people negative information about themselves immediately. But anyway, here's a here's a great example. And again, this thing was two pages long. So this is just, uh, of course, just one of the jobs of the many jobs that are there in service. Marketing and merchandising. Hey, Ed. Yeah. It's Mike here. I wonder if uh, can we take a minute and uh, take a couple questions. Sure. Uh, I just I didn't want to get too far past the, this on the on the list. Um, when you when you describe the meetings, these uh, the weekly or biweekly meetings and who should be there, um, the question that came in is, is why not invite uh, the technicians or at least some of the technicians? Uh, they were on the list okay. if you looked at it. All right. Okay, so, there, so always, the text would... Always, yes, absolutely. Yeah. But okay. that, that, they were on that list. All right. Uh, you mentioned hiring winners, uh, winning personalities. Uh, does that mean uh, having some sort of a test that you can give them during the application process or the interview? Yes, there are tests available uh, that help measure personality. And then part of it is how you challenge them when you interview them. Um, there's a litany of questions that are asked, and then we judge how they see the world, how they see themselves, how they see others, uh, and particularly in their past working environments. So um, personality questions are available. You can find a Princeton and some of the other people have these. Uh, they're formal tests you actually pay for, and they will tell you a lot about a person. When you have key positions, that's particularly important. But yes, there's measuring devices out there for that. Okay, and, and then uh, just for the people in the audience, in last week's workshop, uh, the speaker did list uh, several uh, test services that she recommends. Uh, you could refer to that uh, that workshop in your Dealer's Edge library uh, and come up with those uh, those names. 
Uh, and then uh, a follow-up question, it's, just, it's basically the same question. If we're going to include the technicians, we're going to invite all the technicians or just uh, select techs? It would depend which meeting it was. We always have full shop meetings where every technician is involved. And okay. uh, those would typically be once a month. Um, the other person that goes along with the technician, and we always include as part of the team, is whoever works the parts counter for the technicians. Um, I, I hate it when parts and service is battling back and forth, and you see a lot of that. We like to treat it as one department, and uh, you will see that uh, these uh, service managers make parts part of service department, and so they attend the meetings also. A lot of times, now the pay plans I like, I like to pay parts counter people that work for service off the hours, just like the technicians get paid. And then the other part of that is you'll see them delivering parts to the technicians. An interesting statistic that that I calculate is how many dollars of parts and labor sales does a tech, typical technician produce in one minute? And the answer is around $3. So you think about that, $3 a minute. Do I want a technician working in the stall at $3 a minute, or do I want him standing around the counter or wasting time with a poorly written RO or what have you. So um, you'll see these guys make sure and that these guys' time is well managed. I had a just a quick incident. I did that calculation in a class one time, and I had some really great service people, uh, managers in there. <laughs> in the next class, the guy came back. He goes, well, I put a big $3 sign up at the parts window, a three with a dollar sign. And he says, I walked by and my technician was uh, standing there and he was yelling in. He goes, hey, I've been here for $12, you know, <laughs> waiting for a part. But anyway, it really made the point with everybody. And, of course, parts follows service. So the more labor hours we produce, the more parts sales we produce. So, obviously, you got to be a cheerleader for producing labor sales. Okay. I have something for you if you're interested. Um, I developed a comprehensive garage operations audit. It details the important operational areas which need to be reviewed monthly to help maintain premium performance as well as provide reasons to celebrate. So my very best managers use it religiously. If you're interested in this, it, and it's no charge, Excel assessment workbook, just email me at netprofitgroup.com. Put on the subject line because I get tons of letters every month or emails. Look, put on the subject line, I got to get a grip, send that garage ops audit, dude. I will send it forthwith. And plus, I'll throw in something else. I will also include an Excel workbook, which you can use to analyze five vitals, uh, which create service profit. I just did a, a, a column on the five vitals. But wait, just pay zero for shipping and handling. So you guys send me that email. I'll send you these things. No obligation. This is no big sales thing. If I can help you out, I'll help you out. That's where I'm at in my career. So that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. Got any questions? Uh, we do, Ed. Uh, okay. I know uh, as I listen, as I'm listening to you, um, I can sort of 
visualize people in the audience nodding their head in, in agreement with you, uh, and probably many people will, will if they're not already doing the things you've recommended, will will try to start doing them. Uh, you know, either this week or next week. But if we check back with them two or three months from now, we may find out that they're not not doing all these things anymore. What happens? Uh, to, uh, to service managers and service directors who, who know what they should be doing, but, but just get distracted and and, uh, and and stop doing the stop following the process. That's my point of the garage operations audit. The things that I talked about today are all in that audit, and that helps maintain. Just to my to your point exactly, um, we start stuff, we quit. We start stuff, we quit. The by Auditing, if you, if you think about what auditing is, we're pretty weak at it. You know, I did a, um, years ago, I was traveling with Acura around the world, and I was doing training for Acura. I trained field reps. I trained the people at right service, what have you. But anyway, I'm staying at these Marriott's all over the place. And and I'm, I'm enamored with the fact they're so similar everywhere I went. Go to Germany, it's the same as it is in Los Angeles, you know. And I'm thinking to myself, how can this be? Um, and really, when I started doing the studies, and there's a little more of this, but I wrote a whole series of columns on it. But, but the thing I noticed is their auditing processes. And that's how we keep things in place. And that's what this garage operations audit. It covers everything I've talked about today and, and a lot more. And if you'll just run that audit and you'll monitor yourself and, and those around you in performance, and I'm either doing it or I'm not doing it, but it's like it's like a constant reminder. So it's really a self-audit as much as anything. And uh, it's a whole workbook, covers a year, and uh, easy to use. So that's a great question. That's a real good question, actually. Um, um, the um, question is, what what do we do about service advisors or with service advisors, or what would you recommend if, for instance, we want uh, you know all of our people, the service advisors, all agree that we, we're going to do uh, a, a vehicle walk around for every every service customer that comes in. Um, everybody agrees to do it. Everybody again does it for a day or two, and then. They just—you notice that they're not doing walk-arounds anymore. Um, when you get to that point, how do you how do you get service advisors to do the things that are are part of the job when they obviously don't want to do them? Uh, <laughs> you know, first thing you need to understand is it's not really always that they don't want to. A lot of times what I run across is we're not setting the environment up where it's conducive to do it. Um, and it, it's very difficult to do it. The other part of it is, let's go back to the, I mentioned earlier, synapses. Why do we do what we do? How does a shortstop catch a 100-mile-an-hour ball hit at him, you know, uh, 10 feet away across not even one part of his body touching the field catches that line drive ball. How did they do that? They didn't. They weren't born able to do that. They did it through practice, and it became instinctive. You got to remember, 
he said, oh, hey, we're going to go. And it's a great one, too. Talk about doing the walk-around. Walk-around's imperative, really. Oh, we're going to do the walk-around. Okay, so we do a little bit, and then we revert back to what? We revert back to the comfort zone. We revert back to the synapse, and we revert back to whatever's been supported for us. What's happened, particularly in a service drive, the computers have become the center of attention instead of the automobile. You know, the days that we rode ROs manually, we were more attentive to the cars than we are today. The computers have really taken the place of that. Um, so anyway, how does one convert people over? Um, I was reading, you know, in psychology, they say it takes at least, and it depends on the person, but at least 30 repetitive times to do something to you even begin to reach perfection. So we say, hey, we're going to do a walk around. So the question is, how many times did we practice doing the walk around? Did we do it once or twice? And where was the coach when we practiced? Did we coach? Did we do it Monday and practice Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday? Just think, I keep referring to baseball again. Why do we even have spring training? Hell, they were playing great last October. Why don't we just kick April off and start playing? Why do we have to practice from February, March for two months in spring training? Um, what are we doing? We're rebuilding our synapses. We're rebuilding this instinct for playing the game. It's the same thing. We're playing a game out there with a walk around. And what do we need? It's the same thing. We got we got to coach it. We got to practice it. We got to assess it. And we do it and coach it and practice it and assess it till it becomes instinctive. That might take a month. It's okay if they stop doing it. It's understandable. If you're the coach, you know, I'm not going to blame the player. I'm going to look at myself and say, I didn't do a good enough job working with that person or those people in that whole system. I didn't talk to them afterwards and ask them why they stopped doing it or what happened that got, what interference was there. Such things as I go in a dealership and I got four people lined up at my desk. How the hell am I going to go? Cause I have no greeter. I have no real service drive controls. How am I supposed to get out there and do a walk around? Just as I'm giving you an example. So I know that that's not uh, uh, all the answer that there is, but that's a major part of it. And I know we're running out of time, so I'm going to Yeah, just, it's, uh, just one, one more question, I think. Um, how, do you have any suggestions for service managers uh, as to how, to how to avoid the interruptions and the distractions uh, that get in the way of, of staying on, on point and, uh, and following the process? I would tell you this, and, and that's another great question. All these questions are great questions. Um, <clears throat> you really have to take kind of a holistic approach to this thing. You know, I was working with a manager this week in New York and, uh, it was a parade in his office. I mean, a parade all day. And we started talking about that. But here's what we're working towards there. 
you heard me use the term assistant service manager. The way it was years ago, and this is going back before probably most of you listening to this or even working in the business, the people on the service drives ran the service department. What this has turned into is I got people writing service who really don't know their job that well. They're not very technical. Every time a customer issue comes up, they got the term service advisor, which was invented, I don't know, in the late 70s and the 80s. Um, and when I did the focus groups, I would ask the people, what, what's, your, what's a service advisor? They're, you know, it's like, oh, it's a clerk. No, I'm giving you a manager. I want the manager to have their own book of business. I want them to manage their customers. And I shouldn't have to deal with their man with their customers. They should be dealing with their customers. I give them all the leeway that a manager gets to deal with their customers and to deal with their technicians. And they need to be looked at as management by the technicians and uh, and by the customer. And I give them the leeway to run their business. It's like a business within a business. Otherwise, what we end up with is every time they have a little problem, I need to see the service manager. I need to see the service manager. And the next thing you know, it's a freaking parade in there. So going back to New York, we're picking special people out for the service drive. And we're, we're going through an intense training program. And eventually, they're all going to run their own little book of business. And what will happen is that parade of questions, that parade of customers, that parade of issues is going to whittle down, whittle down. might take us six months, might take us a year, but it's going to be done. So there's not an easy answer to that, but you got to have a vision, and you put together a plan, and you step by step by step. So at the end of this week, we're just a tad better than we were the week before. The end of this week, a tad better, and so on. Okay. Ed, uh, thank you. I, I wish there was a magic wand, but there isn't. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that brings us to the end of our questions, and uh, so it's, it'll be time to wrap it up here. Uh, you've all got Ed's email address there, ed at netprofitgroup.com. Um, whether you're re requesting the garage operations audit, which I strongly suggest that you do, uh, or you just want to ask another question, you think of something you'd like to ask Ed, uh, send him an email, uh, different subject line, but... Uh, Ed will get back to you uh, as soon as he can uh, with, with some ideas and some suggestions. Uh, I'd like to thank all of you for joining us today. Again, uh, as we always say, it's not easy to take an hour or an hour and a half out of your dealership day, and we appreciate you spending it with us here at Dealer's Edge. Uh, I'd like to offer special thanks to Ed Kowalczyk, president of Net Profit Group, uh, for taking his time today. To, uh, to put today's workshop together and for sharing his considerable experience and expertise with us. Thank you very much, Ed. Uh, and with that, Thank uh, you. I'm Mike Bowers with Dealer's Edge. We'll be signing off now. Hope you can join us for our next workshop.